What an honor and a privilege it is to share God's word with you all. Uh, for those who are here for the first time or watching online, welcome. My name is Anthony. Some people call me AB. I'm one of the staff here at our church. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer and we'll get started. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray for the next 20 minutes as we journey into your word. Um, let it be encouraging and challenging that we would see you more and we see your worth in the page. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so for those that don't know, our church is celebrating our 10th year anniversary this year. And I was reflecting on it this week. Um, someone asked me, what's the most encouraging thing that you've experienced at the chapel? And for me, it was the baptisms. So I was chatting to... Pastor James this week, and we found that we've had 38 people baptised at our church in the past nine and a half years. And for some of those, I've journeyed with them for years. I remember their first time at church. I remember their first time at life groups. Uh, I remember the meals that we've had or the conversations we've had about Jesus and about the Bible. And I remember seeing them grow and become a part of the community and commit their life to Christ. You know, people like Clem, people like Eileen, uh, people like Rachel, uh, people like Dong, Kelly, Hal, Saha, Jenny, the list goes on. And we see here in Philippians 3, Paul's testimony. And... One of the things looking back about the baptisms is that the most encouraging things we get to hear are testimonies. Because testimonies are so powerful because we can see how God worked and we can see how he's still working in their lives and we can see the transformation that happens in their hearts. And we can learn a lot about Paul's testimony. Just to give you a bit of context, uh, Paul is writing this in prison. And he's writing this letter as an old man, and he's had this 30-year-long journey with walking with the Lord. So that's years of wisdom, years of joy, years of failures, years of sufferings and persecution. And for those that read the book of Acts, we know what happened to Paul. Paul had this supernatural encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Long story short, his life gets turned upside down. But here, we see a glimpse of the theological transformation that takes place in Paul's life. So even if you're new to church or you've been at church for years, regardless of where you are with God, there's a lot we can unpack from this testimony. And just for the sake of time and clarity, I'm going to break this down into three main points. Looking back looking ahead, and looking around. Okay, I'm just going to say it again for those who want to write it down. Looking back, looking ahead, and looking around. So I want to approach this chapter like we're on a journey and we're driving a car. And I think most of us here uh, know how to drive a car or learning to drive a car besides the high school kids here. And I know I'm Asian, but I think I'm an all right driver. And if you want to be a good driver, you have to obviously look around 
and make sure your hands are on the wheel. Make sure your foot's on the accelerator or the brake. And you want to be able to look ahead to see where you're going. And hopefully you guys are doing your head checks and looking at the mirror to look what's behind you. So just like driving, we need a balance of looking back, looking ahead, and looking around. And just like driving in your own faith journey, you also need to look three ways. And regardless of if you're on your L's or your P's or you've been driving for a while, those three things are super important. So now that I've given you guys a little bit of context and the direction that I'm going to take this sermon, I'd like to invite Eileen up to read the passage for us. So she'll be reading from Philippians 3. So yeah, just let's invite her up. Hello church, my name is Eileen. So I'm going to read our Philippians 3. For those who have your Bibles with you, feel free to open them up. Otherwise the words will be on the screen. Philippians 3, um, verse 1 to 21. No confidence in the flesh. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is who for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, become like him in his death, and so somehow attending to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. 
heavenward in Christ Jesus. Following Paul's example, all of us then who are mature should take such view of things. And if you are on some points, point you think differently, that too God will clear, make it clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as a have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we urgently await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power of enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our slowly bodies that, that they will be like his glory body. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Eileen. Um, I know that was a lot to read out, and that's why, just for the sake of time and clarity, I was going to break this down into three main points. Okay, cool. So, uh, well, point one, looking back. So Paul looks back on the way that he used to live, and he lists the things that he thought were good in the eyes of God. And that's why he goes on in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he looks back and talks a lot about his credentials. You know, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And when we break down these credentials, it's not hard to see that Paul had the best resume. He was circumcised at the ritual those days. He was born of royalty of the tribe of Benjamin. He said he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the best of the best. And if being right with God was all about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things, then Paul had them all beat. Look at how hard I work for God. Look at how faultless I am in the eyes of the law. And how many times do we see Christianity like this? It's all about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. It's like this God that wants us to bend to his rule and follow his laws like robots. So we try doing things thinking that it's going to make us a better person in the eyes of God. Or just trying to justify it by saying, I'm doing more good than I'm doing bad. Or that you went to church every week and you prayed every day. As if that's going to make God change his mind about the sin that is in everyone. And in his testimony, Paul looks back and realizes there was nothing that he did that made him right with God. He says, whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he said that two more times with increasing intensity, 
What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So he looks back and he realizes his blind spots. He realizes the life that he used to live and says, these things that he was putting confidence in were worthless in comparison to knowing Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, being participants in his suffering, and becoming more like him in his death. In point two, looking ahead. So it's interesting here that in verse 12, the Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what Jesus took a hold of me. And it's interesting to me because Paul says it's not over. The race isn't finished. And some of us think once we become a Christian, things will become easier. Legit, the food will taste better. The sun will hit you differently. You'll feel a lot holier. But the hard work comes after we become a Christian. And here's the paradox. Kent Hughes put it this way. The reality is, the more we come to know Christ, the more we come to sense our need to grow. And I'm just going to read it again. The reality is, the more we come to know Christ, the more we come to sense our need to grow. And the crazy thing about this is, it's Paul that's saying this. And it's Paul we're talking about. Paul, the man. The Paul, the founder of the early churches. The great missionary to the Gentiles. He founded the first churches in Asia and Europe, and that's why we're here today. So if anyone who would think of to be ahead of the race or to have reached the goal, it would have been Paul. But Paul says he's not there yet. He hasn't arrived at the goal. And this is our spiritual reality too. The goal of perfection is not attainable in this life. And our pursuit to become more and more like Christ won't end until we take our last breath. And this humble dissatisfaction that Paul has will also be on our hearts too, as long as we live in this world. And he describes this in verse 13 to 14. He says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind Straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, straining towards. And in the letter's original language, which is Greek, the language he uses has a sense of forcefulness and a sense of violence as well. And Thurman said that in this way, Paul's language comes from the world of war and athletics. You to say that again? Paul's language comes from the world of war and athletics. 
So Paul uses that kind of language to describe the Christian walk. It's like you're in a battle. It's like you're running a marathon. You have to press on. You have to keep straining towards it. And it's hard work. There's no wishy-washiness. There's no, uh, I'm in it and I'm out, and I'm in it and I'm out. So why are you pressing on? Because the goal, the prize of being with God in heaven for all of eternity, for him, is so much more worth it than anything this world has to offer. And one of my hobbies is landscape photography. And I'm just going to show you guys a photo that I took a couple of years ago. And this photo was really hard to get. You know, beforehand, I went to this place multiple times to scope out the place. And I researched where the sun will come up and what time the sun will come up. And on the day, I woke up super early, pitch black, and I drove down there. I had my tripod, my torch, my massive camera and a backpack. It was wet, it was windy, it was cold. I was bitten by mozzies. And I walked all the way down there in pitch black. And I climbed some really tall rocks with my backpack. And then I waited for the sun to rise. And for those who aren't into photography, yeah, that was, they say I'd be stupid. But for me, the photo you get at the end makes it all worth it. And why was it worth it for Paul? Because knowing Christ was worth it. Worth all the sufferings, worth all the rejections and the persecutions. And he's saying for us to press on too, because it's worth it as well for us. And point three, looking around. So we look back on his past and we looked at what's ahead. And now Paul is saying, look around you. Not only follow Paul's examples, but keep your eyes on those around you as well. I think a lot of the Christian growth comes from looking around and seeing the people around us who are on the same journey. When I first became a Christian, I had people around me to look around as well. There were people around to show me what it meant to live for Christ and to call me out when I wasn't. And I remember the countless times I was encouraged and challenged by how they lived, how they talked about Christ to others. I'm so thankful for Steve and Mel and the amount of times I ate at their place. So thankful to my brothers and sisters in Christ who showed me a lot of generosity, who showed me grace and patience in my immaturity. Um, to teach me how to explain my faith to others and answering difficult questions. And overall, just to show me what it means to model Christ in my life. And Paul says, look around you and see and follow the example. But he, Paul also says, look around. But he also warns us as well. Verse 18 to 19, he says, There are people who have abandoned their faith, and even the best of us can get caught up in the world and fall away. With tears, Paul says, their destiny is destruction, 
they follow whatever their desires is for their heart, and they look at the earthly things and forget of the heavenly things. And if we're not careful, we can all fall into this trap too. So I'm going to say another quote. I know I'm saying a lot of quotes today, but I feel like these words have more meaning um, compared to anything that I'll say. That the gospel allows no room for bland, middle-class ethic that strives to be neither hot nor cold. I'm going to say that again. The gospel has no room for bland, middle-class ethic that strives to be neither hot nor cold. And we can tell from Paul's testimony that the Christian walk is hard work. And there are people, not just outside, but inside of our church, that need to hear this too. And verse 20, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. And at the time, having a Roman citizenship was the best it could get. It was said that only the noble or the wealthy could be Roman citizens. And it came with a lot of legal and social advantages. Here's a few. You could own property. You, played clo- you paid close to no tax. You were free from the legal punishment and the death penalty. You could travel around and no one would say anything. And you had the right to a fair trial in court. But when Paul said, your citizenship is in heaven, he's tapping into the language of the people and saying, being a citizenship in heaven is so much better and has the best benefit of all. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And every time I prepare a sermon, God always challenges me with something. And I was challenged by this this week. Am I living as a, citizenship of, as a citizen of the world, or am I living as a citizen of heaven? You know, the Bible clearly says that Jesus Christ died, rose to death, to bear the penalty for our sins. And he also says, Jesus will come again and bring everything under his control and we will be transformed into our resurrected bodies. And for me, it's hard to get my head around because it feels so supernatural and it feels so far away. And it shows in the way that I'm living. You know, I still desire the things of the world and I get caught up in the rhythms of the world. But being a citizen in heaven means that we get to know Christ personally. And that's such a prize and a reward that everything in the world has to offer is worthless in comparison. Now, how can we apply this passage? Number one, we can look inward. So the looking inward is the question of confidence in the flesh or confidence in Christ. Now before we talk about what we need to do, we need to take a look at our own hearts. What are you putting your confidence in? 
Maybe you're trying to do good things to get into God's good books. Maybe you're questioning where God is in your own life. And maybe you're even questioning where God is. But Kent Hughes put it, puts it this way. Paul's whole pursuit of Christ was Christ-originated, Christ-motivated, and Christ-propelled. God starts it, he continues it, and he finishes it. So are you willing to take that leap of faith and trust him? In the eyes of God, we've all fallen short. And we're not running freely. We're all being chained down by something. We're all being burdened by something. So the question is, are you willing to trust in him? If you need to chat more about that, feel free to chat with me afterwards or chat with any of the leaders. Because no matter where you are in your faith, we've all been there in our times of doubts and struggle. And number two, Look outward. Help others pursue Christ or ask for help in pursuing Christ. So that's two things. No matter where you're at in your faith journey, you can do two things. You can either help others pursue Christ or ask for help in pursuing Christ. And that's the beauty of church, that the community of us that are working together to help each other meet and pursue Christ. So just take a look around you and see who you can build up to pursue Christ. And take a look around you and see who you can learn from and have a chat with them about their faith journey through a coffee or a meal or dinner, whatever you need to. And now to wrap up Philippians 3, we know that through Paul's own faith journey, that he looks back on the way that he was living and realises all the efforts that he put and all the efforts and all the confidence that he did to put to be right with God were all worthless. And he also looks ahead and says his race is not yet finished. He still needs to press on to the goal of perfection. And he looks around and cries for those who don't know Christ and calls for the church to learn from those who are on the same journey. And I pray that we can also reflect on our own faith journey and to look outward to help others pursue Christ or ask for help in pursuing Christ. Let's pray.